Hey, it's Dusty Otis. Welcome to the Redefined Church Podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking part of your day to join us. I hope this message challenges you. I hope that it inspires you. But more importantly, I hope that it helps you grow spiritually. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here at Redefined Church, you can always support us by going to liveredefined.com forward slash give. I hope you enjoy today's message. You joined us in week two of a teaching that we're calling Real Relationships. And more importantly, today we're talking about how do we maximize our relationship with God? It's a tough question because I'm not sure that we ever get there. Um, and so, and Heather and I was talking, this is like, she's like, I don't, I don't know that you can actually say that. And you say that with the understanding of we're all a work in progress. And so if you look at your ring finger, your ring finger is also called the wedding band of your faith. And that also represents your potential. If you look at your pinky finger, you'll recognize that your pinky finger is just a little bit shorter than your ring finger, which means your lifespan um, kind of identifies with your pinky and your ring fingers, your potential. That's what God's put in you. And so that no matter how far, how fast, or how hard you run, you're never going to reach that potential so that it is to set a good pace and to recognize what God's done for you. And so then how do we maximize our moments with God and how do we see him? And so um, potential is the greatest, greater our lifespan. Hey man, I said it all. So then let's, let's recap last week. Last week we talked about, this was week one, we talked about how to live in a real relationship with God. And those Bible references were Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And then we went really deep in John. We went John 13, 31 through John 14, 14. And I'm just going to give you the highlights. I'm recapping in a different way so we can get into the message. Uh, John 1, uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. All we need to see here is God wanted a relationship with us first. In John 13, 34, we see the new commandment, which is the same as Matthew 22, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. Love others as you love yourself. Do for one. John 14, 1 is uh, keep one thing in mind. If you only do one thing, it's keep your heart with everything you have. Keep your heart with all diligence. John 14, 5, Thomas admits in John 14, 5 that he doesn't have it all figured out, that he's trying to figure out what, what the heck is Jesus saying when he's like, I'm going to a place and you can't come, but he's also called them to follow and so then John 14, 5, uh, they kind of they get it figured out because that leads to John 14, 6, where um, Jesus essentially tells us the way. This was the anchor of our message last week. In John 14, 6, Jesus revealed the way, and the way is also referenced in uh, Isaiah 35, verse 8, where it talked about Jesus being the highway. And so, which led us to reference and jump into Hebrews 9, 12. So inside of John 14, 6, you can cross-reference John 14, 6 with Isaiah 35, 8 and Hebrews 9, 12. And Hebrews 9, 12 is by his way, his blood, he entered the most holy place, heaven, where we all have confidence, liberty, and boldness to follow. But he had to go first so we could get there after. So what that's saying is Jesus is the way to heaven. He is the go-between here and heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life, meaning he is the beginning and the end. Here in the Bible, he's the Alpha and the Omega. So if he is the start and he is the finish, then it has to mean he is in the middle. And so uh, the question that we had last week was uh, just to identify, where are you in that relationship? And we're all in different places. I'm in a different place than you, but I'm with you. I'm with you in that journey. And so the follow-up question to where are we in our relationship with God and what part does Jesus play for us or how well do we know him is, is that all what you know in your head? How much of what you know in your head has made it to what you believe in your heart? And how much of what you believe in your heart has made it to your feet where people can see him in the way that you behave, in the way that you act, in how you treat people? 
Because that's ultimately discipleship is when people can see Jesus in our feet. It's in the way that we act. And so the action step last week was uh, essentially establish or reestablish a relationship with God. And we're going to get to pray our believer's prayer at the end of service. And if you've not done that, or you've been a bonehead like I was a couple times, uh, you get a chance to come back. So leads us to our message day. And so the title of today's message is How We Maximize Our Relationship with God. If you are a Bible reader, I cut down on my slides today quite a bit because I really need you to read with this. This is part of my reflection last week was to think, man, I'm, one, I'm doing a ton of work and, and it's not that you're not worth it because you're worth every second of it. But if it's always me and I'm never getting you to open your Bible and read it for yourself, it's gonna be hard for God to speak to you because God speaks to you through the Bible. He puts a, a message on my heart to come and teach and, and that's great, but if you don't read it in the Bible for yourself, that's where I'm dropping the ball as your pastor. And so then we want to open the Bible to Ephesians 1. And I'm just going to pull out a couple of key verses. This is out of the New Living Translation um, because the language was just a little bit more uh, 2020. And so uh, what you need to do, though, is if you're taking notes, leave space after verse 4, 5, and 11. Leave space after 4, 5, and 11. And if you'll turn to Ephesians 1, I'm just going to ask you to read with me. I thank God that we have the opportunity to read Scripture together. This is important to do as saints, the Bible tells us. And so uh, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to start in verse 3, and we'll go to verse 14, and I'll try to breathe. (laughs) All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us. This is verse four. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We go to five. God decided in advance to adopt us. That's big. To adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out onto us who, who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Verse eight, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Now God has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority or one authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That's what we prayed, Matthew 6, uh, uh, 6, 10 through uh, the Lord's Prayer this morning. 6, 10 is where it starts. 6, 9 is where it starts. Verse 11. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, everything together, heaven and earth, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God and he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Amen. Amen. Thank God for that, right? So verse 12, we're about there. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. What you see in Ephesians 1 is God's redemption plan. 
You see the riches and the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God to us. You see God's grace through Jesus. You see God's grace through Jesus. And so let's go back to verse four and dig on this a little bit. And um, in reading verse four, can you throw that back up, Wyatt? And throw that back up. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So God choosing us before the foundation of the world gives great respect to the blessing of being adopted children of God. And so we have the right to all the privileges and the entire inheritance of being his children. We have the date of this act of love. The Bible tells us that it was before the foundation of the world. Not only before God's people had a being, but before the world had a beginning, God chose you. That's what verse 4 is telling us. The provision, uh, here's what, as parents, the provision we make for our children is a result of many thoughts. It's a lot of sacrifice. Okay, it's all the things that um, we make the most important, right? It's the one thing that I realized going from um, coaching everybody else's kids to having kids of our own was, man, I thought there were some crazy dads, and now I'm becoming that crazy dad. Because we all want the best, the absolute best thing for our kids. And that's what God's saying here. And so then, as a result of that, this magnifies divine love. This magnifies divine love. So it secures the blessings of God's chosen for God constantly pursues his eternal purpose in blessing his people. God constantly pursues that purpose. And his purpose was relationship. Verse 5, if you're taking notes. It was his sovereign will. So then God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The very end of that, we, we normally, guys, we normally fade out about the, the, that period there. This is what he wanted to do. Yeah, we know. And we, we missed that last part, and it gave him great pleasure. So in verse 5, what we see is it was God's sovereign will and highly pleasing to him according to his purpose and unalterable. He loved it. He still loves it. This is not something that Christ did. This is not who God was. It still gives him great pleasure to see people come home, to see people establish relationships. That's the plan. We go to verse 11. It's super, super simple. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, that's so good, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose, I missed that chose, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God powerful, powerfully accomplishes whatever concerns his people. He's going to take care of you, right? So then what we see, and, and we're going we're gonna to leave Ephesians now, but what we see through Ephesians chapter one, and the, especially these four verses is, God's redemptive plan for mankind. And then we can also see that what God intended for Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 in relationship with Adam and Eve is why he sent Jesus for us. Adoption, though, this is a point from Heather. Adoption isn't taking the best of what is left. Sometimes we feel like that. And that could be American culture. Adoption doesn't mean, well, all of this didn't work out. So I guess we'll do this how this plays out for us is we had these two dogs and um, my best friend just had puppies. You guys have all been, you, I'm telling your story right now, right? Hey, we have dogs. Will you come get, will you come take one? And we are just starting to date. She has her apartment. I have my apartment and I'm not going to tell you this, but I pawned both dogs off on her and she took care of them. Okay. 
I want to apologize for that right now in front of everybody. And so we go to pick up Louie. We still have Louie. He's 14 years old. But when we go to pick up Louie, they have this little runt dog named Gus. They named him after the mouse off Cinderella. Gus Gus. Okay? And to be honest with you, Gus, of the two, Gus was the best dog. Gus passed away last summer. And, uh, but that's kind of what we did. It was just like, oh, this is, nobody else is going to take this dog. I guess we'll, we'll take Gus. And he ended up being great, and, and the adoption worked out well. But that's not what God does for us. He doesn't say, oh, oh, there's one more. Well, I guess we can take him too, right? And so it's not about the best available. What you understand through those three verses is God chose you. God chose me. God chose us. And so then we are adopted sons. We are adopted daughters. And so then sometimes we can say that, and it just kind of, that's a great dart, Dusty, and it means a lot, but... Um, most of the time we tend to uh, kind of relate our relationship with, with God, with our Heavenly Father, like we do our earthly dad. And so I don't know your relationship with your earthly dad. He was probably great, but if he wasn't, he was like my dad who was not awesome, okay? And so the hard time for me that I was having in, um, I told you about in, in uh, I don't know, August of 2014, 15 was, I don't remember which year it was, it's been too long already. Um, my dad had walked out on my mom he went and uh, started seeing another woman, moved out of state, and said it was for a job. And man, it really wrecked my life because I started to question who I was. And my dad had raised me to be all these things, all great biblical values and principles and, and, and just awesome. But all of a sudden, I didn't believe them because I didn't believe him because he was a fraud. He was phony to me. It was like, Dad, what, like, what happened? Because you taught me all these things, but now you're doing opposite. And so can you, can you explain this? And it was a lot of dishonesty, and, and so which led to everything that kind of goes down that path, right? And so what you need to see is, and what I need to see is, that's not my God. That's not the God we follow. And so what you see in Psalm 68.3 is, God is a father to the fatherless. In 2000, is it 14 or 15? 2014. This absolutely rocked my life because I had to accept that no matter how crappy my dad was, that I had a dad who was a dad to every dad, who was a father to every father, who was a father to every son. And so then we have to go from saying, man, that's a nice scripture that David or I think that's David that he wrote. It's really nice. I'm, I'm, I bet that was just such a nice day. But what happens, we have to make Scripture personal to us because if this is God's ordained word for your life, if this is God's way, if this is God's way for you to grow and know, then this has to be made. He's speaking to you and he says, I am a father to the fatherless. He's the creator of the world, right? And so sometimes just lump it up like world. Well, we are in the world. God created you. He created me. He created us in his image. We talked that a couple weeks ago. Psalms 2.7, Psalms 2.7 says, The Lord said to me, you are my son, and I have become your father, adopted. We are adopted sons and daughters. Now, about the adoption, there are four things that you need to kind of plant on and dig into, and, and this is my story. I mean, I'm telling you my story. <laughs> You're going to get more of it than I wanted to share this morning. Ephesians 1.4 says this. This is about the adoption, Okay. It says, for he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, 
that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight. This is Ephesians 1.4. We just read it. Okay. Now, when we go to 1 Thessalonians 1.4, it says this. We know brothers and sisters, that's us, loved by God that he has chosen you. James 1.18, in his goodness, he chose to make us his own children by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his choice possession. And then the last one, and am I going too fast? See? I've learned to be actually really good in silence, by the way. I used to not let it be quiet for like one second. One second was super awkward for me. So then, uh, and I'll go James 1.18 one more time. In his goodness, he chose to make us his own children, adopted, by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his choice possession. Colossians 3.12, this is part of our family mission. It's our family creed. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, because you're chosen. This scripture embodies the last six weeks of everything we've been talking about right here. Haven't we talked about honor and honesty and hospitality and unity? This is it. Like, therefore, as God's chosen people, be an example. But he reminds us, you are holy and you are loved. Even when you don't feel like it, it's the way maker. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God is always doing something. You need to take these four scriptures and make these personal. This is what God says about you. He says, you are chosen. And you have to accept that. And for some people, that'll take a day. For some people, that might take the rest of your life to accept the fact that God chose you. Because a lot of us can't get over the fact that we stink, okay? That we just make mistakes and we fell away and we need God's grace. But it's acceptance. It's not about works. And so this takes us to uh, Romans 8. You look at our action step from last week. We want to take, <clears throat> excuse me, we want to establish or reestablish our relationship with God. In Romans 8, here's what we see. We see God has a plan, and I think I made slides for all these, and I'm going to actually go one by one. There's only five. God has a plan. This is union with Christ. This is his plan if you're taking notes. Again, this is the same, Romans, the same author that we had in Ephesians, and it's the same author that we're going to have in Philippians. This is Paul again, okay? We have union with Christ. We have adoption into the family, the family, and we have salvation through Christ, not through works. It's not what we do, it's who we are. It's not what he did, it's who he is that makes you right. And so then we start in Romans 8, verse 15. So, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. There it is again. Now we call him Abba, Father. One, two, three, four. I have four supporting points for this scripture. The first one is this. This is what we find in verse 15. One, he adopts you when you accept Jesus. When you've accepted his son, you are now adopted. Two, the word slave meaning here is sin, shame, guilt, fear. It's not our meaning. It is what are you a slave to? What keeps you from engaging in relationship? What keeps you from believing 
in your heart and keeps it locked in your head to where you believe that you know, right? That hurts us. Uh, Number three, when you accept Jesus, his spirit comes into your heart, okay? Now I have God's spirit, so now I can actually walk in who, in the fullness, who he's called me to. And the last point, I say this for the last, it ends the scripture, and now we call him Abba Father. Only three times in the New Testament do we see the words Abba Father. It's reserved only, (laughs) it is reserved only for the children of God who call him by Daddy. Papa, Abba. It implies tenderness, dependence, and a relationship free from fear, anxiety, and shame. Abba. Because we are adopted as his own children. Let's go to verse 16. Verse 16, uh, hot off the press, this will be the anchor scripture for uh, next week as we talked about depth. We're going to, next week, we're going to talk about depth in our relationship. Okay. Verse 16, his own spirit for his spirit joins us, sorry, joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So what does this mean? Take heart. Okay. Take heart. John 14, one last week, meditate, slow down. You can look right over this and be like, that's, that's thick. It's deep. It's uncomfortable is what it is. And it's uncomfortable because we try to figure it out. For when we accept Jesus, his spirit joins our spirit to affirm we're adopted. To affirm we're adopted. Do I believe that? That's, the, that's the, the sticking point. Do I believe that? Yes or no? And if no, then we have to have a conversation. And I'm not doing a, a good job as a pastor. Hopefully I get you past that point. And so this is what helped me. Habakkuk 2.20. It's not on here. This is a nice little side note. Habakkuk 2.20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple, and the whole earth is silent before him. That means, right here, just take time to agree with the God and say, this is, my heart is your heart. Your ways are my ways. Be consistent. It's hard because to, to hear you have to slow down. And to slow down means that cost me something. That's going to cost me time or money. Am I willing to do that to receive, to hear? And so that's kind of the wrestle. We'll talk about that more, more tomorrow. And so, verse 17, or more next Sunday. 17, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Don't you love how that was just like really good, and then all of a sudden at the end it went, right? Because that word suffering, it just, ah, it affects us, right? And so then the three points to support the scripture this. If you're a believer you're an heir of God. Then you will inherit eternal salvation, God himself, his glory, and everything in heaven. You're an heir. Thank God. Every adopted child by divine grace, this is is the second point, every adopted child by divine grace will receive a full, full inheritance the same inheritance that Christ receives by divine right. It's, a, it's your divine right. It's not like, well, maybe if I just keep. No, it's a divine right. It's yours. And then suffer with him is proof, that, is proof of believers that we suffer too. But this, this suffering might come in mockery or ridicule, physical persecution. But God's greater than all of that. 
God's really great in all that, but it's really easy for us to get kind of stuck in that. And so it's proof of the believer's ultimate glory in that he suffers, whether it comes as mockery, ridicule, or physical persecution because of his Lord. So then you're saying, I take a stand, I follow Jesus. I have a relationship with God. And so because of that, sometimes it happens. Guys, it hit us hard the first couple weeks. Since then, everything's kind of quieted down. It's been really nice. And what I found is um, what you feed on is going to keep feeding you, right? And so then if I jump on Facebook and battle with somebody and try to get them to see that God's goodness is real, that Jesus is the way and the one and, and all that, if somebody doesn't want to understand that, it just keeps escalating, right? And so then it becomes my way versus their way. And then it's me versus you. That's not unifying. That's not loving. And I can be as loving in those posts as I want to. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what I say or who I talk to, I'm not going to win them over. And so here's what happened. We had 167. I had 167 personal messages week one when we started the church. I responded to all of them. It took me 72 hours. The next week, we had 80. The next week, this, this group pops up in Gross Point Park, and it is just, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so I get in there, and, I, and I've, been, I've, I've invited over 80 people to coffee, and I've had zero people say they would like to meet me for coffee, okay? But here's what happened week three. I was, dra- I was exhausted. I was toast. And I blocked 26 people who kept haggling me, and I left the groups, even though I feel as a pastor, I need to be part of what's going on here. I left the groups, and guess how many messages I've received since I stopped feeding on that? Zero. We've got zero bad reviews. We've got zero, zero any, anything negative. But it was because I said, wait a second. These people have zero authority. They have zero relationship. They do not know our church. They do not know me. They don't know the people who come here. And so as much as I want to stand up and take a stand for Jesus— the fact that they're, that they're acting this way is the fact that we need to move on from it. And because we did, there's been peace in our house. Huh, girl? <laughs> so it's good. If that's suffering, right? Verse 18, I'm gonna get you going. Verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Later. And so the two points here are, in short, he describes the trials that we go through in life. That's just the trials we go through in life. Some are good, some are bad, some are easy, some are hard. We can easily see that the present suffering is minor compared to the great glory we will receive when Jesus recognizes us as his. That's the ultimate prize, right? And then we stand before him in heaven. It's, I'm there. We're going to fast forward all the way to verse 28. This is like the scripture in the Bible. (laughs) Verse 28 And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Called is just very similar to being chosen there. Called according to his purpose. And so, the question is this. Are we fulfilling God's purpose in our lives? Are we fulfilling God's purpose in our lives? If you are, then all things work together for your good. You're going to have trials, but at the end of the day, it's like I was telling, I met with my pastor this week, and I I was telling him the struggles of being a pastor versus actually like being boots on the ground doing stuff, and he said, it'll get better. It'll get better. 
And I was expecting something so much richer than that, just so much more like, well, you did this, so like, you know, and he's like, it'll get better. This is the cliche Christian slang term, right? Like, oh, brother, just hold tight, press on, it'll, it'll work out. And so that's what he's talking about here. All things are going to work out together for your good. The key is, the key in the scripture is those who love, those who love. Where'd I go? Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so then, if we love God, that means there is um, exchange. There's an exchange there. Talk about that next week. People forget that God has chosen them. That's the, the second point. People forget that God has chosen them because we get so caught up in our negative mindset and our self-talk and, you know, culture, traffic, potholes, you name it, right? Do you guys like how my go-to has become traffic and potholes? It's really, it's really not. <laughs> By the way, for terrible roads, Detroit wins. Like, hands down, they beat the whole world, okay? We get hurried into something for our own choosing. What God will bless you in is what and who and where he's called you. What God will bless you in is, is who, where, and what he has called you. Sometimes we don't realize exactly what God would have us to do. But if we would get alone with God and pray and ask him, he's going to reveal it to you. He's, fa- he's always faithful to meet you where you're at. But again, it goes back to verse 16. I've got to be able to take the time to sit down and pray. I've got to be able to take the time to seek. Uh, Matthew 7 is, you know, knock and the door will be open. Ask, seek, Right? We ha- if you'll do those three things, it's amazing. It's uh, Ma- actually Matthew 7, 6. So if you go from Matthew 6, 33, this is a side note, 6, 33 to 7, 11, you find a seek sandwich. The first one is, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things to be added to you. And it ends with, ask, seek, and knock. And so then, it's being willing to do that. The last thing here is, uh, to them that love God is the human perspective. It's human perspective. God is working all things together for good, but those who love God are best able to appreciate the fact because they love him no matter what. It's not a, well, I I will if you will, right? We come willing and he takes care of the rest. To them who are called is divine perspective. We all understand we sit in that seat of called. We sit in that seat of chosen. Scripture often refers to believers as called and chosen. So then, to them who are called according to his purpose, we accept that. Now, all things work out to my good because I love, right? Verse 29, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, okay? When we understand that God chose us, we should also realize that we have been ordained to become like Jesus. God chose us. Then the second point is Jesus' crucifixion was planned from the foundation of the earth. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus paid for you and me to be adopted in the family. He paid with his blood at Calvary, so now we are part of the family because our older brother, both God's son and our brother, purchased our right to be called God's sons, God's daughters. Verse 30 is the last, the last verse, and I will close. You need to go on and finish reading this all the way through verse 39. We're out of time. Verse 30 says, And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, 
He gave them the right standing with himself. You're in right standing this morning. You're good enough today. You are good enough today. He gave them his glory. This partners with 2 Timothy 1.9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. The calling occurred before the creation of the world. That's Ephesians 1.4. The calling here is temporal. It refers to the effectual communication of the gospel resulting in salvation. The effectual communication of the gospel resulting in salvation. The plan was set at the foundation of the world. Man could not be saved on his own deeds. Ever. Ever. You can't earn it. You can only accept it. So then, we must have a Savior. And that Savior must be Jesus. So I'll close with this. The secret to maximizing your spiritual life or your relationship with God is found in Philippians 3.12. This is still Paul. Now that I have already reached the goal, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort. I make every effort to take hold. I love God. I take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ, by Jesus. That's what he's saying. It goes right back to what we're talking about in Romans. Salvation is free. It's purchased life for you. Possession of what God has for you is not free. It's what it says right here. It's going to cost you something. It says, make every effort. So it takes our effort in that relationship. It goes on to say Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, to have it figured out. Your potential is longer than your lifespan. It's okay to feel that. It's okay to feel that. But one thing I do, forgetting what, be, what is behind me and reaching forward to what is ahead. This is kind of a big deal. How do you unknow or forget what you know? don't, right? It's always there. And you can ask forgiveness and you can repent and God does forgive you. And he casts that as far as the east is from the west. And we know all that. But your past is your decision to either maximize it or minimize it, right? You ever had something from your past creep up on you? Right? Or like a memory, right? It's like, oh man can't believe like guys I'm 38 years old I'll be 39 this year there are stuff that I did as a high school student that will hit me I'm like golly I can't believe I did that I'm 30 this is 20 something years ago always my past is a choice I keep pulling it with me just dragging along like a freaking backpack just keeps getting heavier the older I get the heavier it gets and I just drag it with me We have to stop reaching back. You can magnify and be stuck, or you can minimize it and move forward. Forget what is behind, it says. I've not got it all figured out. I've not taken hold of it. But, I, but one thing I do know, I've got to forget what's behind me. I've got to forget what's behind me, and I've got to reach forward. I've got to move ahead. It's Jesus. Magnifying your past doesn't make it bigger. 
you make it bigger. It's the same past that's behind you right now. Same as it's always been. The only thing that makes it bigger is you because we choose to pull it. It's a great analogy here. We have uh, near a coach who watch a lot of game film. And as a player, I get, I get both perspectives of this. As a player, you will do something really great in a game or really bad in a game. And if you did something really great, you feel really great about it. And you tell all your friends, can't wait till tomorrow till we watch film. Wait till you see this, it's gonna be amazing. And on the other side, if you do something really bad, you automatically right now know, man, tomorrow coach is gonna rip me to shreds. I hope we, I hope we fast forward past that play. And the reality is when you get to film, the good thing is never as good as we think it is. And the bad thing is never as bad as we thought it was, ever. And I was like, ah, oh, that was a good play. I, I wasn't superstar material like I thought it was, but that was pretty good. And the bad is just the same. Oh man, I thought that was terrible. I thought I cost us a game. I thought I cost us a touchdown or a, who cares? No, you didn't. It's not that bad. Yeah, you could have done this or this different. And we tend to park on that as human beings. This is what we should have done. Could have, should have, would have. And so then it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. Just like our potential. Even kill, nice, even pace. You choose what you minimize and you choose what you magnify. The last one Paul shares is Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal, toward the goal. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What you see here is there's no place called there. It doesn't say I press on to the goal for the prize is there. It's upward. Upward, meaning effort. It's gonna take effort. It's gonna take engagement. The more I talk about this, the more I'm getting excited about next week. Upward means this, what's in you is never complete. Upward. It is a path that we are taking upward. It's not there. We're all a work in progress. I'm gonna share this with you. Hopefully I can keep my emotions in check. In 2014, this is what I felt God press on my heart. If I can find it, come on. <laughs> I shared it with our leadership team. You guys are welcome. Here's what it says. And this is essentially what I had to own. And I don't know where you're at today and I'm not trying to pretend that you're in my shoes like I was, but here it is. I'm a work in progress. Just own that. God always, always, always glorifies a work in progress. He never chose anybody perfect to do anything. Look at the Bible. I can name you countless characters who were knuckleheads, who were prostitutes. God never chooses anybody that's perfect for anything. And so then, you're good enough today. God always glorifies a work in progress. So then effort, right? It's the effort we talked about this morning. I will never finish. This is a little bit harsh, but this, it, it challenged me. So just help me, okay? I will never finish. I will never arrive. I will never reach my potential. That only means I need to set a good pace. My effort with God just needs to be consistent. It just needs to be consistent. 
And so your action step today is two part. Your belief in who your heavenly father is has to come before your knowledge of him. Sometimes guys, we have to walk in this room and pretend that we don't know anything. And that's really hard. And then two, we must magnify our relationship in him or with him more than we, uh, more and minimize the things that steal from it. Because the things that steal from it are the things that we kind of carry along and keep in the way, right? We must magnify your relationship with him more and minimize the things that keep you from it, especially, especially our past. Does anybody have a dime in here? Dime, quarter, nickel, anything. I actually forgot it why it's so. Any piece of change. I'll give it back. Even a penny. Jeff, Jeff Hubner all the way in the back. Oh, we got them all. Quarter. A dime is good. Quarter's better. By the way, you don't carry change where we come from because you don't have to pay to park anywhere. It's another thing we're just so thankful for here. Okay? Anyways, if I hold this out here, I can see everybody in the room right now. Okay? If I move it here, I just lost one guy. Okay? But I can still see everybody. So I move it here. I just lost three people. I lost one of the Morans. Okay. As I come here, it's getting bad. I got two sides. Okay. I can't even tell you how many people I see, but I see faces. As I get here, I can barely see Heather out of the corner of my eye here. What I choose to magnify, what I choose to engage with is what gets my attention. Right? If this was a dime, I would tell you that this is everything that that your past amounts to right here. The only thing your past has done to get you to this point is prepared you to take a step. It's all preparation. You lean back on it for the good stuff, but the bad stuff, we don't ever go back and say, you know what, I made that mistake before. Let me go, go back and see how I can make that mistake again. I screwed it up before, and I just happened to be doing the same job again. I think I'll, I'll go back there and refer to that. You don't, right? Everything that's behind you amounts to about 10 cents. Or today, 25 cents. It's nothing. You choose it, right? So it's either out here and it's just part of, or it's right here and it's weighing you down. It's a backpack that you have on your back. So the question today is this, and this should be our question every time we sit down. Am I going to believe this enough to let it change my life? it. Am I going to believe this enough to let it change my life? Every morning when I sit down, I answer this question. I read an Esther this morning and I had to say, I can believe Esther's enough, Esther's story enough to let it change my life. Nice catch. <laughs> Am I going to believe this enough let it change my life or will it just rest right here head knowledge Dusty everything you've said I've heard before I guarantee you have it's the same Bible for thousands of years right everybody's heard it before 
not a trick, it's not a trick or a hoax. It, it is the gospel, it's the living word of God. Hopefully it said something to you this morning, but you have to answer this question. And it should be whenever you sit down, whenever you pray, am I gonna believe your word enough, Lord, to let it change my life? Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to today's message. I hope that it challenged you and that you'll take steps this week to have a greater faith and to go deeper in your relationship with God. If you wanna know more about what's happening here at Redefine Church, you can visit us online at liveredefine.com. Follow us on social media at Redefine Church or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.